listening to Brave New Words, coming to you today from the middle of L-Space. My name's Ed Fortune and I'm here with... I'm Ross. And I'm Ross. And I'm producer Al. Coming up next, a jingle. This is Fat Radio International. Embrace the alternative. That was a lovely jingle. Wasn't that jingle lovely? For the better of it to the listeners. Jingling. Yep. Russ is dancing. <laughs> also, we found Russ. If you can call it that. Oh yeah, hi. <laughs> so if you listen to the show regularly, you know that we keep losing uh, presenters in L space. So we all decided to go in, uh, which is a problem. So we're in... Oh, I've never seen these books before. I Generally, I've never seen these books before. Um... So we were surrounded by, we are in an entirely different room, uh, all part of L Space. Uh, I think we might be in someone's living room. So it's hang on, so I large, haven't seen you guys since what? The, the radio. 2015? How, how, is, how, is, how is Earth Space? Uh, what, uh, what's going on? Everything's fine. <laughs> Nothing's gone horribly wrong at all. I've seen that grin before. Yeah. <laughs> we're not a politics show. <laughs> We don't do politics, except okay. we kind of do. But, uh, no, yeah. it's all fine, Russ. We fine. don't do politics, but the lizards got out, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, okay. okay. <laughs> and the Hugo, the Hugos on. are fine too. No, the Hugos are fine. Oh, I voted in the Hugos. Well done. Yay! Very pleased with myself. So on today's show, we'll be talking about Empire's End, which is not like Howard's End. It's a book by Chuck Wendig, and it's all about the stores. Um, but yes, I vote with the Hugos not as like well. Not like Howard's way either. Not like Howard's way. Howard never gets his way, poor Howard. Apparently. It's, it's more like Palpatine's way, to be honest. Ooh. But um, yes, I vote with the Hugos as well. So what did you vote for, producer Al? Um, you see, I think I might have subverted the genre slightly by at one point voting for a theatre show. Uh, would that be Picnic at Hanging Rock by any chance? Picnic at Hanging Rock, yes. The amazing piece of horror theatre that yes. no one will have seen. Unless you're in Australia or Scotland. We travelled from Manchester to Scotland to see it, so it's not entirely implausible that other people might have done. There's a Venn diagram between Australian (laughs) theatre, science fiction fans, Hugo Hugo voters, and then, like, like it's us. (laughs) That group can only get bigger if we advertise them by putting them on a podcast. Like, do people from Australia come to Worldcon, given that it almost exclusively happens in the Northern Hemisphere? It is Worldcon. Do we have a lot yes. of Australian listeners? But the, we know. do. We have some Australian listeners. Hello, Ta-da. Australian listeners. Hello. Hello. Um, <laughs> Shout out. A short, short version. Um, it, well, it is a book, isn't it? It's a book first. Yes. It, is, it is arguably a horror novel. We should do a short about the picnic at Hangar Rock, but it's not this it's one. Show, um, but it's arguably a horror novel. Uh, it's arguably in that. Do we want to? Do no, we, let's, let's take it later from the show. Uh, but yeah, I voted for that. Um, I, I I nominated um, our friends at Tea and Jeopardy. Yes, um, I, I I nominated our friends at Tea and Jeopardy, um, and also voted for this show because why not? <laughs> yeah. um, and you know what? We're eligible. I, despite the fact they nice. only did it like four days ago, I now at this point can't remember anything else I voted for. Oh no, Ghostbusters. I nominated Ghostbusters as well. The, the one Hispano, which we uh, yeah. 
Brave New Words is brought to you in association with Starburst Magazine and The Wonky Spanner, uh, both of which were eligible for Hugo, he said very carefully. Um, yeah, I, I, I voted Adele Baring for short form editor. Um, as in, as in, an editor who does short form, yes. not someone who's five foot. No. Uh, though she is. I have, to, I have to admit, when it gets to those more technical categories like editor of whatever, I, I do struggle to to know like people. But there was a helpful spreadsheet that prompted my memory. Uh-huh. There are a series of helpful. Uh, I find, I mean, we're kind of going into the realms of the Hugo Awards, but I find that the Hugo's because you're coming to Helsinki, aren't you? I am. So you'll be getting out of Elspace for there. Thanks to wonderful people at Connell Bust. Um, so yes. Um, goodness me. So Helsinki 2017. Um, lots of people have already voted. If you haven't voted already, you've missed out because voting literally closed last night when we were recording the show. Um, who did you vote for? Uh, my memory's very th- my memory's very thin on such things, but um, I voted for Emma Newman on um, one of the books and Game of Thrones season six episode nine, uh, the Battle of the Bastards. Battle of the Bastards. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, I voted for After Atlas, which I predict is going to get a Clark. Uh, we keep threatening to do our own awards on Brave New Words. And potentially the Dave Hutchinson Award for not winning a prize. Uh, which well, well, did we, well, did we say I, who was going to receive that prize? Not Dave Hutchinson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, you know, we'll add it to the, to the whiteboard of ideas that we're going to get around to sometime when we have some time. Stranger Things. That was one of them. Uh, yes, I think I nom. I, I might have nom. I don't know. I can't remember. I think I nommed Stranger Things. I can't remember either. I definitely shocking. It was, it was literally four days ago. I did a handful. I did a handful of indie movie things, on that kind of. I don't think anyone else will do this, but I'll put them on the. You know, I'll put them out there on the spreadsheet and on the website and stuff. Uh, and then, and then pro- eventually, when the long list comes out, they will know. Yes. Eventually. But um, and we'll, we'll look at our marvelous four votes and go. Who was the fourth person? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, shall I get on with Star Wars? Yes. Always Star Wars. You did introduce it in a form the Star Wars, and I keep thinking, what was the other one? It's one war, isn't it? <laughs> oh, there's lots of Star Wars. There's lots of wars in Star Wars. Is it all part of the same overall war? Well, yeah, the, the, okay, the original trilogy was one war. Oh, is this your opening crawl? Shall oh, we? Am I supposed to walk backwards in yellow? Hang on, hang yes, on. Please. Shall we start with Somewhere in Space? Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Don't be scared. It's only the Death Star destroying another world. Relax. It's only a movie, and it's all for fun. Director George Lucas and 20th Century Fox present... Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. That gives me an excuse to play that clip. Uh-huh. Somewhere in space. A long, that was a, a long time ago in a galaxy far off. The original that 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 was the original trailer. So the original trailer was like somewhere in because they didn't really know what they had. So they've got this. Somewhere really in space should be re- used more often because it it doesn't it it sounds 
brilliant. Except you know, it's, it could be anywhere. You see, <laughs> listeners, you see what we teach you. Like said, it's <laughs> the, whole, the whole idea of it being a, a guy uh, a long time ago is simply because the first time they screened it, people were like, "Where's Earth? Where's Earth? Uh, this doesn't look like the future." And they were like, "No, we'll say it's the past." And then you don't have. Which to. is the interesting argument, isn't it, about how advanced on Earth did technology get? And then stuff has wiped it out. So, like, how advanced did the Egyptians, the Incas, all that sort of thing, how far did they get? Not spaceships. Okay. We're fairly confident not spaceships. But, it's you know, aliens. Are we thinking the brain's fault? I'm now thinking that there's, there's somewhere there's a crossover where the, the end result of the Star Wars is that they created the Stargate system. No! no! No, 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 no. I love that. Old, uh, we'll get to the big event. They develop warp drives next, and then no, no. The, the entirety of sci-fi. Works no, no, but a long time ago, guys go far away. They're the ancients. Yeah. I, I love the theory that if you look at the Drake equation, which is yeah. the equation of how much life there is in the in the, the universe and in the galaxy, and you look at how old our planet is and how old the universe is, there's a good chance that we are one of the earliest civilizations to develop sentience and to be communicating out there. At which point, if we hang in there for a few more hundred years and start exploring space and start seeding space with technology and things, where the ancients? Where the ancients? How horrifying and sad is that? It's like, oh, but yeah, we're going to start laying down question things and it's all going to be Easter eggs for future civilizations and they're not going to understand anything but it's hilarious that we're going to send another alien civilization on the Pokemon red and gold and silver quests <laughs> which you know as a as 10,000 years which well, bad enough that, you know, we're going to go to some civilization say well this is planet Rigel and they're going to go no it's it's ter- we, we live here we named it and they're going to be sent on horrific grind missions for years before the actual <laughs> the actual adventures happen it's one of those fun sci-fi tropes where uh, Terry Pratchett did it very in very early on in his career, where the idea of you know someone decides to create a fantasy world for, for fun uh, as a kind of Easter egg in the cosmos. Uh, I do like the idea of going. Do you know what? I'm going to go to this alien world and be a dragon. Send people on quest, quests. Kidnap I'm, alien princesses. Anyway, I'm going to be really, really wealthy. I'm going to terraform this world. I'm going to flatten it slightly until it looks like it's on the back of a turtle. And then I'm going to put people on the other side of it and see what happens. But we're not reviewing Terry Pratchett and we're not reviewing Piers Anthony. And we're, you know, we could do a whole show on Xanth, but we're so not. We're do, do, what's doing. Chuck's Ed Wendig take on this, please? Right, right. so <laughs> Star Wars Aftermath. Um, some, we've talked about, we talked about the first one on the previous show. Okay. Uh, when we were the bookworm, and then we decided that that was a rubbish name, uh, and now we've written new words. Um, so, um, this is the last in his series, the Aftermath series, Star Wars Aftermath, uh, which comprises of uh, Aftermath, Life Debt, Empire's End. We've covered Life Debt on Brave New Words as well. We've covered Aftermath. Did we cover Life Debt? I don't think we did. It's the one of the Wookiees. Uh, it's got lots of wookies. Yeah, um, I, I, got, I got that from the title. Please um, know their life debts. It's the second one. The first one was great because it was like a cinematic opener, and we were all waiting for the Force Awakens to come out, and we were like, oh, 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 so, so, some more stuff, and it kind of gave you little hints and bits and pieces, and you were like, oh, oh, this is very exciting. And then Life Debt came out, and we were like, oh, there's a bit of Han, there's a bit of Ben, um, as in Han's son. Yep. Um, spoiler for the Force Awakens, uh, and a bit of you, you've had a year. We'll 
yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, he was like a baby in, in Life Debt. He's like yeah. baby Ben. He's only briefly mentioned as well. Um, and then we get to um, Empire's End, which is really good. The first book was all right. The second book was eh. Uh, and then the third book. Right. So, um, it's all kicking off. This is set after Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. which is a movie that you probably have seen. If you haven't seen it, go and watch Return of the Jedi. Uh, it's got Ewoks in it. Um, there's, a, point. there's a wonderful, there's a wonderful reference in the first one, the first aftermath book, where he describes them as uh, talking about stormtrooper who's at a bar and he's got a stress from from Endor because he survived Endor on those horrible cannibal bears, those horrible cannibal bears. <laughs> <laughs> With their soulless eyes. I can't. Uh, if you want to know exactly why I'm laughing so hard about this, you'll have to ask me and Ed off the show at some point. We will tell you everything. Um, it's it's not the book with exploding Ewoks in it, but it's a different story entirely. Anyway, so moving on. In the first book, we kind of got the team together, and the team together was um, kind of mercenaries of a heart. Um, Nora Wexley, who is uh, an ex type fighter pilot, rebel pilot, uh, her son, who is just getting on with the world and his life, um, a chap who's an ex ISB, so ex space Gestapo, essentially, an Imperial agent yeah. who'd, who'd changed and did, well, it's not so much changed as was being exceptionally pro- pragmatic and then realised that he was in fact a villain, essentially. And they all got together, and we get to like these characters over the last two books. Um, by the time we get to the third book, all the events are that have been kind of alluded to are suddenly, suddenly all apparent. Everything is kicking off. So we've got a character called uh, Sloan, Admiral Sloan, and she is uh, Empire, a member of what's left of the Empire, and she is desperately trying to keep the Empire together. And she's one of an element that's trying to keep the the empire together, the remnant of the empire together. Because that's her life. She's she's always served. She's on the side of, as far as she's concerned, law and order, and she's desperately trying to keep. And yes, they've, as far as she's concerned, they've done some horrible things, but for the greater good. That's her worldview. That's her approach. Uh, and then they are. And she's right from a certain point of view. From a certain point of view, she's completely on the nose. And then she's got, and there's, she's 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 got her own story, and there's contingencies that the the emperor has has had and has put in place that are interfering with her own plans and are also possibly interfering with the fate of the galaxy. So she is desperately trying to punch her way through, or move her way through, maneuver her way through, to keep elements of the Empire still alive. Meanwhile, Nora Rexley, rebel pilot person who gave up basically most of her life and her, her youth to, to get rid of the Empire and her friends are desperate to stop them. And it all ends in Jakku. If you've seen The Force Awakens, you've seen what happens at the end. <laughs> you know, you know that there's you know there's 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 bits of starship littered all over Jakku. We know what's gonna happen with Jakku. We know that Jakku is a bad place to go. And like we get halfway through the book and you're like, Don't go there. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. What are you doing? Um And it all kicks off. So the two characters are Honora and Sloan. 
everyone else gets their story. All the other characters that you've got, Sinjir, who is this sarcastic, angry ex-imperial agent, he's in there as well. But also Chuck Wendell can't help himself. He does this thing where he um, he will cheerfully just throw in Star Wars references and Star Wars bits and pieces. And he, what, the you mean like any other piece of Star Wars? So. <laughs> it's so <laughs> it's so peppered with um, it's so peppered with with the world that it feels so kind of because this is also. These Star Wars books are relatively new. I mean, this is a new Star Wars books, but this new series yep. is from the reboot, the Disney reboot. Disney have rebooted Star Wars. They've gotten, they've kicked This is out. the rebooted expanded universe. There, there is no expanded universe anymore. Well, that's what I mean. This is, this is the expanded universe of the movie, of the new movie. What do they refer to it now? Is it? Legends. Legends, that's it. Which is much better than, I mean, I've talked about it on the show before, but yeah. to, to recap, before Disney took over, it was a mess. It was a horrible mess, and essentially, if you're a freelancer who just happened to meet George Lucas in the pub one day, you, there's a reasonable chance that you could get a you know, or you know, knew someone in Lucasfilms, you could get a book out. And some of those books are awful. Some of them are brilliant, and some of them are fantastic, but some of them are just clearly. I've got the I've written a sci-fi novel. I'm just going to knock off the serial numbers, add Luke and Leia. I gather yeah, the good ones Wars. have essentially found their way into Star Wars Rebels in some capacity. There's a guy called Pablo Hidalgo who is the keeper of the sacred holocron. Uh, that's his job title. That's what it says in his business card. That's when he submits. A oh t- right, so this is a character. Sorry, I got no, no. that job title. Yeah, when he submits a, ta- a tax return. Yeah, that's what it says. Keeper of the sacred, sacred holocron. What is? I to make my own job titles. What his job is is that he's the guy. He's story editor or head of story. At Lucasfilm, um, what his job has been is, is to go through all of the legends stuff that is now legends, and to pull out the gold. So he's been sifting. So, for example, there's one of the things, one problem that Chuck Wendig had was that these books replace the Timothy Zahn novels. Yeah, and the Timothy Zahn novels are well loved. Yeah. Um, because they formed a backbone of people's childhoods, and it's that you got into Star Wars the movies, you got into the Timothy Zahn novels, and then you became a science fiction fan, and then that that that's you done. You're you're into science fiction. So Timothy Zahn opened sci-fi for you. So when he got replaced, people were like, "No, no, you can't do that." By the by, Timothy Zahn is writing a Star Wars novel in the new Star Wars world. It's called Thrawn. So, uh, and the, the, his his original books featured a character called. Admiral Fawn, who's amazing. He's he's a blue skinned alien. Ah, uh, yeah, heard of him. He's an absolute. He's a he's a scary, scary, scary chap. Essentially, you yeah. know, in, in a in a empire that's dominated by Englishmen. Let's be honest. He's the blue skinned red eyed alien who is better than all of them because he has to be. And he's uh, he's a marvelous villain, and you you know he's a villain that you root for. Yes, I've um, heard of him. He's not in this, but <laughs> but he is in he is in the book. Oh well, yeah, because he's Zahn's character, not uh, Wendig's. Uh, and he's in um, he's in Star Wars Rebels, the yeah. TV show. Um, one of the things that one so Wendig has has dived into the whole world. There's a character that we've talked about before. He's my favourite character in all these books, and he's not really a character. He's more kind of a feature. So <laughs> one of the other characters. Tinkers with robots because it's Star Wars and people tinker with robots. But of course, and he's not. This character's not very physically strong. 
So he's gone. I know. I'll. There's a, no one. No one does anything with battle droids. You know that Roger, Roger, because they're rubbish and they're funny and people laugh at them because they're not scary. Yeah. He's got one called Mister Bones. Right. Mister Bones is scary. Why is Mister Bones scary? Mister Bones has knives and no regard for human life. Lovely. Mister Bones will go on a minute. Will go. I I have done a violence, Roger, Roger. Uh, I will go on a medispree with knives. And because he's terrifying, the, the rest of the, the party have gone, eh, can you make him a bit more personable? Uh, and this has kind of been like a running gag. So this is a wonderful, wonderful bit where they're, they're racing to get to, to, you know, the, the rebels are racing to get the, to get Sloan and, and Mr. Uh, Mr. Bones has turned up and rescued them because he's a terrifying murderbot. Um, and Nora kind of hugs him because she's, she's relieved and it's a human thing to do and I just going to quote hello I am enjoying this hug too hug 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 a hug is like violence made of love <laughs> it's like, it my favourite line in the entire book have uh, they taught him to make souffle however <laughs> does it involve knives stab uh, um so sorry, Chris. <laughs> one of the hello, Chris Park. If you're listening, by the way, uh, and we've just alienated everyone else. Or obviously, you listener are also very special. Um, so there is a chapter in um, Souls Empire's End that's been online or it's been talked about on uh, online, and I think it kind of it describes because ultimately this is a race between two women who are trying to impose their will on the galaxy. Yep. Uh, with cinematic explosions and boogies and che- we meet Chewbacca's son uh, so and, uh, yeah it's brilliant but Chewbacca Jr? yeah Littlebacker um, Littlebacker little so there's a whole bunch of cool stuff <laughs> Mini Chew <sighs> Mini Chew oh, I'm hungry now um, <laughs> Chewy but there's also another ca- there's a character in here that we meet um, and essentially there's a whole bunch of refugees because it's war and there's a whole bunch of refugees in uh, Naboo. Mm-hmm. And there's a little chap called Maple who um, he's been absolutely, you know, he's been mutilated by by war, essentially. He's only a boy and no one wants to talk to him because he looks scary. And there's this alien in Naboo, or at least as far as I'm concerned, there's an alien, who entertains the kids. He's a Gungan. He's referred to as as a Gungan. Right. The The adults don't talk to him. Oh. But he 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 leaps and he jumps, and he does these amazing theatrical tricks. And he's a clown. Um, Nobody knows his name. My name's Maple. The boy says, "Mister Jaja, hi Jaja." Oh, yeah. <laughs> How did that take you so long? <laughs> <laughs> but it's marvelous. I mean, it's only an aside. It's not what the book's about. And if you don't, if you really hate Jar Jar Bunks. <laughs> I really hate Jojo Binks. That, no, 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 that's no, no, a whole no, no, no. That was fine. <laughs> we cannot talk about that on this show. <laughs> if you really don't like the character, then seriously, just skip that chapter and read the rest of the book. But it does several things at the same time. Firstly, it points out that Jojo Binks was a character for children. It was always a character for children, and he's this weak, wacky clown toy. And the way when it describes the way that Jojo sounds he sounds like a toy his eyes rattle when you shake him you know he's he's 
he's a toy. He's he's and the kids think he's amazing. And then obviously the adults won't talk to him because of the events, and <laughs> because of everything that he's done. Because of everything that he's done, and um, and the, the the book kind of very subtly makes the point of this was a character for kids. This was not a character for adults. Um, this character should not be blamed for the events that surrounded him. And you, you adult readers, should not blame the character of George R. Binks for the flaws of the prequels. This is a symptom, not the cause. None uh, of this is um, shaking the argument that he is, in fact, the um, Sith mastermind. I, I think the book pretty much lays to, to rest that now that he's a professional clown. Yeah, that's just... how it makes it sound, isn't it? How, you know, he can get to the hearts and minds of children here. This is. <laughs> there is actually going, one of the themes is the Empire wants your, your young. The Empire wants your young, so you can turn, turn them into stormtroopers. Whereas George mm. Binks befriends a boy and trains him to be a clown so it's like not the you know now, now sending the sending the clowns is in you know attack of the clowns is an entirely different Star Wars spin-off that I don't think we'll ever quite see but we should attack of the clowns um <laughs> will, will there be <laughs> clown cars <laughs> oh man clown speeders surely well lots of people just get on and then eventually it just collapses <laughs> well lots of people get out <laughs> it has a, it has a slightly surpri- it has a surprising transport capacity. Should it be like a clown atta, which then just falls over comically, <laughs> doing kind of yakety sacks, uh, and then like thousands of thousands of clown troopers just just fall out of it. I would watch this. <laughs> I, I would as well. <laughs> is it a loss? Animators, in- get on it. Is it a loss? <laughs> I might be an adult swim on where there's a car crash between two clown clown cars. And then there's just like an entire city block of dead clowns. Oh, <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like a robot chicken. Thing. It does sound like a robot. It's just the clowns just keep coming out because they're, they're too crowded. Uh, we've gotten very dark. It is how was that? Okay, yeah, okay. Have <laughs> clowns in it? It couldn't be dark. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, it can. Oh, we haven't done it, and, and we shouldn't in case it turns up. Um, well, yeah, Pennywise is coming soon again. But um, yes, so um, <laughs> is Star Wars Aftermath any, uh, Empire's End any good? It, like the rest of the series, if you love Star Wars, you should read it. Um, it hasn't been bitten by a bunny rabbit, so it must be a decent book. That's, it's also a good, good review <laughs> technique. Um, it's it's a reliable technique. It is a reliable technique. Uh, uh, Very discerning bunny. Hardly the. the I do very technique. much like the sound of this. Um, the book or the rabbit? The book. Okay, that's what Because the rabbit only chews bad books. Um, so, yes. Is it any good? Yes. Is Ch- have, would you see a lot of criticism online that hate Chuck Randig because he happened to write something that dared be different from a beloved series that no one had read or no one had read for at least 20 years? Yeah. Should you ignore those people? Yeah. Um... Because they get what they want, they, they get what they wanted anyway. The Arzar novels coming out on the way. Um, does will it spoil any of the Star Wars Force Week and stuff for you? No, it's like extra jam. If you if you've got a whole rack of toast and you're, you're having some delicious toast and jam, and you want a slightly different flavour of jam, and you're happy with the jam that you have, but you just want a little bit more jam, this is more jam. It's not gonna. It's not gonna make the previous jam experience go away. It's not gonna damage the previous jam experience. It's just more jam. If you're in the mood for for more stores goodness, 
it will enhance your viewing pleasure. Um, and you can bore your friends by the fact that you know more details about the Imperial Remnant than they do. Um, ultimately, it's you know you don't need to read the books to enjoy the movies. Um, you don't need to have seen the movies to enjoy the books at the same time. Um, is there a sneaky reference to Star Wars Rebels? No. Is there a sneaky, sneaky re- reference to the Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures game? No, there isn't. Um, which is a pity, because if, totally if I was writing a Star Wars thing, I'd be like, here's a spaceship that does this. Please please put it in the game so I can play it. Um, because I'm a cheat. Uh, <laughs> You're a cheat. Uh, I'm not a cheat. <laughs> I would totally do that, though, because I'm a king of cheese. Um, it also gets more. It gets the idea that Star Wars War is the other bit of the book. Um, so yeah, Star Wars. Um, that yeah. was Star Wars Aftermath and Empire's End. Is this the third of a trilogy? Is this the this is the last one of right. the trilogy? Okay, just so not. Con- there's no continuing from this. Um, I don't know if Chuck's going to write. Any- well, they could always write another six parts. Three of them as a prequel, and three of them as a sequel. That's the point. <laughs> With, with it, and and, and add an extra little volume between the prequel yeah. Tr- tr- trilogy yeah. and the yeah. yeah. Um, it does actually start on the second Death Star. Okay. One. It, go, it it kind of takes you back in time, and the the opening scene is someone on the second Death Star going, oh, "I didn't go on the first one because I wasn't allowed. Why am I on this one?" <laughs> that sounds like it could be the fine start of a film noir as well. <laughs> I'm just thinking. I think of that character, uh, Jinxo from Babylon Five, the one who's who was involved in the construction of all five Babylon stations, was mysteriously not on it just before, mysteriously not on the station just before the first four disappeared, and has decided to stay on the fifth one in case it went. Didn't didn't he in fact stayed on the fourth one and oversaw security, and like he was like, I'm going to stay on this because every time I go off the station, it explodes. Yeah. So he stays on. Like Babylon Four is finished. He gets off and then it vanishes. <laughs> and it's like, no! So Babylon 5 is constructed and he says, right, I am not leaving this one because otherwise cause it's cursed. If I leave this station, it will be doomed. <laughs> is there someone who was on both of the, who was waiting for the third Death Star saying, right, I'm not leaving this one? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There probably will be eventually because <laughs> this is the problem with massive franchise fiction is that even if it's a bad idea, if it's funny, it ends up there eventually. Um, one of the things we've got in here, by the way, is uh, is a hut. We meet a lady hut uh, who does stuff. Is, okay, is actually active. Um, has gets on with things um, rather than sits there going, oh ho ho ho! I'm a symbol of the patriarchy. Ho, ho. I've seen the special editions. He does stuff. Not much. <laughs> Not much. But he moved around, and he wasn't just in his palace. I'm an enormous metaphor for things that are bad with the world. You sound like Brian Blessed. I, I really don't. I no, 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 no. You, you do. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like Brian Blessed far too often, Ned. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very kind. Gordon's alive! Um, it's the bread commercial he does these days that gets me. Ed does bread commercials? On on the idea of uh, as as pop sci-fi, talking about Flash Gordon, uh, it is pop sci-fi. It's not pure pop sci-fi. There's a touch of politics in it. There's a touch of real world in it. It's Star Wars, of course. There is grow yeah. up, um, but it's fun and it shouldn't interfere with your 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 reading pleasure. And if it does, spend less time on the internet. Um, but yours, it's Star Wars. Ray, Ray, um, Star Wars reading. 
but he said, checking the clock. About 30 minutes. Yeah, hang on. Because this is the annoying bit where I have to listen to it and go, shit, Ed, you have to edit this bit out now because we've lost steam. I need to talk about something else. What else should we talk about? Do a Brian Blessed impression. One of the things I was disappointed about about the Star Wars prequels was that we had Brian Blessed in the Star Wars prequels. Um, yes, we did. And he was like King he was of Naboo. He was a Gungan. King of Naboo. Yes. He was that Gungan. Oh, God, yes. But at no point did he go, Dive, my fishmen! Which is what we wanted. Well, he was already at, you know, lowest possible. Uh, what's the word? Come on, naval Level. people. Help Level? Me out. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. It, it was, was, it was on the really? surface, wasn't it? It wasn't yeah. on the surface. Not, it was not on the surface, the sea. under the sea, yeah. So where, where, he, where do you dive from there? Well, further down. If you're underwater, you can dive upwards. That's true. Oh, I suppose. Rise, my fi- rise, my fishman still works. That, yeah, it'd be confusing for a moment. But oh, we could have had jetpack gungans. So, do we need Timothy Dalton in for um, future stuff, just to make that one work? And then they never, and then they never meet in the same way as Christopher Lee and um, Peter Cushing never quite managed to cross paths. But we're both on was. Timothy Dalton is an amazing villain. He's an amazing character actor for villains. He and Brian Blessed both being in Doctor Who as well. I think... King... Ir- I can't remember yes. his name. King Irkinos and Razalon. <laughs> Actually, there is... Without spoiling it, there is definitely a character here that could be a decent... In the Aftermath books, that could be a decent Timothy Dalton, Star Wars, Admiral type. I, I, I saw him as a little bit chunkier than that. When I was reading it, I'm thinking about it. There's definitely a, you know, a, in fact, the opening of the novel when we read it. You with CGI these days. <laughs> to make him chunkier. But yeah, Gallius Rax, Admiral Gallius Rax from the Aftermath novels as Timothy Dalton, and that's all on. That's an idea. So Rax as Timothy Dalton, or Dalton as Rax? Both, <laughs> at the same time. Rax, uh, Rax as Dalton, as Bond. Now I will. Rax as, as, as Dalton, as Razzle. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's an interesting point actually because we were taking the piss but <laughs> there's been a lot of people who've said they want uh, an Empire story for like an Empire movie for Star Wars right and that's problematic because they're the baddies so how do you make how do you make a um, Empire movie without it being awful um, and the, 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 the how Empire Strikes Back is an Empire no, as in as in the empire, the empire were the main protagonists of the story. Oh right, okay. And you, have... we want them to not be villainous in this. So I think you'd have to come. I think you'd have to go with the. Um, I, I, I think you'd have to go with the kind of um, day worker mentality with it. You know, it's, this is the uh, mission to retrieve the plants from the Death yeah. Star so that they can't use them. We're not actually doing anything in a villainous way that we know about. You, you just make the hut. You just make the huts the buddy. You don't make the rebellion the bad guys. In, in that story, uh, in the same way that because there are war movies where you know where, where it's about the the German perspective, but yeah, but the re- rebellion do bad things as well because it's a war and they have to do things in order to survive. And but Star Wars is a bit more light and fluffy in that direction. Okay. They don't they don't go down that level of darkness as often. Although I think it would be bad for the brand. I think Disney would be like, uh, really? I thought Rogue One was. All about the murkier element of the rebellion. Rogue One is about uh, Rogue One is about as about dark the as we can get. Yeah, right. Rogue One's going to be as dark as we can get. If we were to do an Empire movie, then if we had those guys as the bad guys, 
then that makes the rebellion less shiny and we want the rebels to be at least some mm. shiny. And all those guys get redeemed. You know what you could do? You could do a master and commander style, um, you know, uh, piracy operation that they're dealing with. Das boot on a, on a TIE fighter. Not a TIE fighter. <laughs> maybe a Decimator. Ma- ma- yeah, maybe a cruiser of some sort. But well, the, totally the lander shuttle. Yeah, <laughs> stuck in space. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be like <laughs> brilliant. Call us. Call us. I'll write that script. Uh, I keep saying that. I'll write that script. Watch as they or the novel. We'll write a novel. Watch, we'll, watch as they all grow beards as they're stuck for stuck drifting for months. One of them turns into a Wookiee. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> or a or a James Bond story where they're an ISB agent and they're trying to stop something awful from happening. I could totally see that as well. <laughs> because you know he's he's an agent of the Empire. Not not this Mara Jade nonsense. Oh my god. Pay attention 007 or <laughs> it'll be your last interview. Because they, they, they are the agents of the hand, aren't no, they? They expect you to Jedi. Sorry. Oh. Oh what? <laughs> I thought of a pun and it worked in real time. <laughs> so I like that one. I like that one a lot. Oh dear. <laughs> I've lost my thread now as well. <laughs> yes, I, 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 I can see I can see a Bond style movie where, you know, he's he's running around um oh you've got the Empire's hand, haven't you? I don't know if we still have the Empire's hand because we've not really seen them in the, the, the new Disney fight. In which case they're doing their job brilliantly. Yeah, because uh, the Empire's Hand were the Emperor's hand-picked uh, force-using ninjas, essentially. Mm. Who were secret, the, the secret band of assassins nobody ever knew about, except we all did. Because they all kept turning up with their CVs. Yeah. They? Hi, one of them marries Luke Skywalker. Aren't the there meant to be seven of you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of them marries Luke Skywalker in the, in the old books, which is why they got rid of her, because she was awful. That's right. Mara Jade. Yeah. Mara Jade. Yeah. By the way, our Twitter is at Radio Bookworm. And if you're really annoyed by that, then great. Uh, you should tweet <laughs> us. But um, I hate Mara Jade. There's a. <laughs> no, she's rubbish. Uh, rubbish, but a great fan character, which is why. The, the fans love her. Yeah. And and she's also she's also always drawn as this kind of fetish redhead as well. She's like a supermodel kind of with big red hair. And as much as I'd love to see Karen Gillan in the Star Wars movies, um, quite an early cosplay favourite, I seem to recall as well. Yeah, um, and a cool idea for a character. Just a little bit, just everything they they have everything. If you don't know the character Mara Jade, she starts off as the Empire's, Emperor's hand, marries Luke Skywalker, and she has think of all the jam you can have in Star Wars. So force powers. Uh, cool, cool associations with the cool bits of the empire. Associations with cool bits of the rebellion. Uh, obviously, your own lightsaber. Mary or, Sue Skywalker. She is Mary, Mary Sue Skywalker. She totally is. She's just like likes Luke Skywalker, but a sexy lady. That face doesn't work on radio. I've realised. But yeah, no, don't do that. To write an original character that's not... Don't just rewrite one of the cooler characters in the story and then give them no peril. That's bon- that's bonkers and boring, but really popular uh, amongst the fans. Yeah. As the fans have terrible taste. 
Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm a fan, by the way. I have terrible taste. Why are you listening to this show if I have terrible taste? Listen to this show, by the way. Because uh, the rest of us don't have terrible taste. Oh, that's true. <laughs> well, that's it. We're listening to you. the worst puns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, I can't comment anymore. <laughs> so, yes, so we've alienated all the Star Wars fans. Um, that's good. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff coming out as well. Uh, we will continue to review Star Wars books until someone begs us to stop. Um, if you want us to stop, radio book at radio book. We will probably, we'll probably ignore you. If but... you want me to stop reviewing Star Wars books, maybe get me to write one. <laughs> that, that, that's an interesting gamble. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, um, and then we'll just you know interview you, and then because the, I the believe failed. You, you know. <laughs> If you're hiring him, hire me as well. Um, okay, so um, I think we should talk to a lovely author. We can talk to a lovely author. Where the hell are we going to find one of them? South Space. They're around. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's break into someone's. Let's break into someone's book by by the library the way we always do. I'm in L Space. This is a different part yes. of L Space. This is, really is a different part of L Space. Let's talk to a lovely author. Tenth book on the shelf. Pull it. So, um, Tim Levin, welcome to Brave New Words. Hi Ed, thanks for having me. So, uh, tell us about your new book. Okay, yeah, so Relics is my new novel, which is out imminently. Actually, the official release date is the 21st, but as usual with the vagaries of publishing, it's actually hit the shops already, so it seems to be in Waterstones all over the place, all over the planet. Um, So Relics is, uh, I guess it's being pitched as a supernatural thriller. Um, It's got all sorts of... You know, it could be on any genre shelf, really, apart from historical naval romance, because there's none of that in it. But it's uh, sort of a, um, I suppose it's an urban urban fantasy with heavy horror and crime tinges to it. And it's about uh, an underground black market trade in relics of mythological creatures. So uh, I know a guy you can go to if you need a, a cyclops head or a an angel's feather, that sort of thing. So, why specifically the you know the trade in rhino horns and tiger tiger horns and this sort of thing? Why why did that inspire you for a, for an urban urban horror? Well, it's that sort of stuff's in the news quite a bit, especially with social media. When you see um, you know photos of big brave hunters sitting on a, a lion they shot from half a mile away, um, and it's. Uh, you know, it's it's not very nice to see, and and because it's in the news quite a bit. I just had the thought one day when I was reading that, what if they were hunting things that shouldn't really exist? Um, so that's a sort of basis of relics, really. I mean, the the in in the book, the trade is in relics, but the the my sort of heroes and they discover that some of the relics are fresh. So it could be that some of these creatures are actually still existing and hiding from us. What is the appeal of the idea that the supernatural is, is, you know, lurks beneath our kind of couches sort of thing? Yeah, um, well, I think with with this book, uh, immediately upon having the idea, I thought it's got to be set in London because it needs to be... It would be a very different book if it was set in rural surroundings because, you know, even now there are still... People still talk about the Beast of Bodmin and even now people think there are creatures... Uh, of that size that exists in Britain that we haven't actually caught and classified yet. But in a big city, I think it's almost hiding in plain sight in a way. These creatures are trying to keep out of the way. Um, so they're in 
it's not only there's there's a fair amount of subterranean stuff, but abandoned buildings as well, and and some of them, you know, in the book truly hide hide in plain sight. And I think it's just um, it's quite alluring to think that that it might actually be the case that there are um, creatures existing among us that we don't quite know about. So. Is there a sequel to Cold Book in the works? Ah, I get asked that quite a bit. Uh, not, not yet, and I'm, I've got nothing actually planned. Um, I get asked the same about The Silence as well. I don't know if you read The Silence. People ask me if there's a sequel to that as well, and my answer is the same. Uh, I'll never say never, but there's nothing actually planned yet. My next two books for Titan are uh, all part of the Relics trilogy. So there's going to be at least two more relics books. Uh, after that, who knows? I mean, if if I come up with a, I think something like Colebrook, if I come up with an idea that I think's worth tackling again, I wouldn't want to just to do another zombie apocalypse book. It would have to be something quite different. Similarly with the silence, I think I think the idea would have to have moved on the characters and the world quite a bit for me to me to sort of want to do it again. I like open endings and <laughs> some. Uh, as a reader, I like I quite like open endings that make you think, uh, and as a writer, I quite like doing it because I, I I like involving the reader as well. And some some people like it, and some it leaves them hungry for more. And I'm not sure that's a bad thing actually. What is our fascination with London? Why why do we keep putting monsters and horrors in London? What are we trying to well, say I... about the about the capital? Yeah, I I think it's a, it's just a it's a place with such a deep history, you know. London is you, you can go back thousands of years, and there was there were settlements where London is now, uh, and I think that's the allure of it really. And also the the whole underground thing. There's you know there are nuclear bunkers and air raid shelters and tube stations, and it's, there's something really quite spooky about tube stations that aren't used and are, that are locked up, but they're built ready. And you wonder what's what's down there, you know, ghosts waiting for a train all eternity, all that sort of thing. But, and there, there was talk when I was writing Relics of <clears throat> um, my my editor at Titan said, what about setting it in America? And I was very resistant to that. And I'm glad I, I was because I, I really don't think I don't think the story that Relics tells would have suited being set in America. Although the second book, which I'm writing now, is set in the States. But it's a much sort of wider scope. Um, Relics needs to be set. It's, it's, it's my London novel, really. You've written quite a bit of franchise and tie-in fiction. Uh, everything from The Cabin of Woods to Hellboy to Star Wars. Um, is there a world left that you want to write, Paul? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure, really. That's an interesting one. Uh, I can't. You know, I I keep thinking. Mm, I don't think there is. But then another project pops up. Like uh, I did the King Kong, the, the new Skull Island novelization, which I just got my copies of today, actually, and that was really good fun to do. Uh, I quite like doing. No- I've done three novelizations now, but the tie-in novels, you know, which are original stories and my stories, my characters, I, I sort of prefer doing those. Really, like the Star Wars novel, I had a huge amount of fun writing. It was, it was my epic dark fantasy novel set in space and I just had to make sure um, you know <laughs> you, you could easily easily read my Star Wars novel and 
not actually be too fussed about it being a Star Wars novel. I think um, I'd like I'd love to write another Star Wars. I was I was intending I was hoping that my character would be part of a trilogy, Lenore Brock, but then Disney came along and bought uh, bought the whole shebang, and um, so my Star Wars is now a I think it's a Star Wars legend. It's the it's the you know they've they've put all the stuff together that they don't think is canon and they call it Legends, Star Wars Legends. So I don't think I'm going to get to write any more of that character, but I would, I, you know, I'd like to write another Star Wars. Um, and I'm always, I've never written a tie-in thing that I'm not interested in and don't like. Um, but then I'm lucky that I've, I've got quite a, quite a wide taste, I suppose. I've never been offered something like, uh, you know, Hannah Montana, the, the novel or anything like that. Luckily, <laughs> How different is um, writing a tie-in novel from writing um, a film adaptation from writing your own original work? Um, well, novelizations is basically you send a script and you turn it into a novel. So that's uh, generally you have to keep. Generally, the rule is you can't cut anything out, but you can add. That's what I found generally. So, um, so my cabin in the woods novelization I added a polar bear walking into Barrow and the vampires playing with it and toying with it and killing it um, <clears throat> in the King Kong novelization Skull Island uh, I've added a couple of um, extra sort of monster attacks um, <clears throat> so that's so that's novelizations tie-in stuff is like I said my own original stories set in established universes so the Star Wars tie-in I did um most of the main players were all my own characters and the story was my own. Many of the settings were my own because it's it's difficult destroying a planet that another writer's gonna to want to use down the line. So um so that's that's much more much more like writing my own stuff. I prefer you know, given a choice, I'd write relics over um a novelization because it's my own story and, and you know at a very sort of commercial sense, the copyright stays with me. You write tie-in books, you don't own the copyright. That so, if somebody came along and made a movie out of my Star Wars book, I probably you know wouldn't wouldn't participate much in it. Um, but I like I like a challenge and spreading my wings a bit. And a lot of the tie-in stuff I've done uh, means that I've written in universes and written stories that I wouldn't have written otherwise. And probably, hopefully, like the Alien and Predator stuff, especially reached. A much wider audience who will then, and I've seen slight evidence of it, who then come and start reading my own original novels, and that's always the hope as well. You you say that there's another two relics books coming. What should we expect? Ah, that would be telling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, mm, yeah, I don't. It's difficult saying too much without revealing what happens in the first one. I think because it is, I'm trying to write them as. They, they'll be standalone to an extent, so readers could pick up the second Relics book and read it, but it would help a lot if they read the first one. Uh, I think all I can say is the second one expands the scope of the first one quite a bit. Um, and there's there's a building element of risk in the first novel, which increases and expands in the second novel as well. If you, uh, it's difficult, difficult to know what to say, really, without giving anything away. If you met the 16-year-old version of yourself... What would you say? Uh, what, sorry? 60-year-old vision? 16. 16? Oh, right. What would I say? Uh, start writing earlier. 
Actually, I was writing at 16, to be honest. Um, yeah, no, I, I'd say keep at it because it, it took a little while for me to be published, first of all, and then a little while longer uh, to start earning any money from it, and then a little while longer again to be earning, you know, to be able to earn enough to do what I wanted to do all the time, which is right. I'm lucky in that I earn, you know, I'm I'm doing it full time, and I'm very grateful for that, mainly because I just want to write all the time. And it was almost, uh, yeah, it was almost torturous when I went part time in work because I, I was writing two and a half days a week, and then putting a shirt and tie on and going to work for two and a half days, and that was pretty rough. But um, yeah, I'd say to my 16 year old self, um, keep at it and and enjoy telling stories, and don't let failure and bad reviews grind you down because they can sometimes everyone gets bad reviews at a 16 16 year old it probably hits you more than a 47 year old <laughs> um sorry give me a second so some very silly questions but one one semi not so silly question if you got to rescue one piece of art like one movie, one artwork, one painting, one drawing, one piece of music, one anything, and that gets to outlast the sun, what would it be? <clears throat> right. Oh, that's a difficult one. Uh, uh, Star Wars. Not that it's... Not that it's, I think, my favourite movie of all time. I mean, I do really, really like it, and it would probably be in my top top 20 movies, I guess. But I think it's um, had such an effect on um, culture since it, was, since it came out f- uh, 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 40 years, 40 years ago. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it's had such a huge effect on, on the worldwide culture that I think it's it's probably it would be the artifact that we want aliens to find in a billion years time and they'd say how do they know <laughs> how do they know our history and uh, and three very silly questions to finish off firstly um, Simpsons or Futurama right okay yeah oh that that's like a whole series though isn't it okay yeah Either Star Wars or Stephen King's books, all of them. But I think movie-wise, Star Wars definitely. Okay. Um, sorry, some silly quick-fire questions, like overall yeah, questions. Sure. So, um, Simpsons or Futurama? Oh, uh, Simpsons. Um, vampires or aliens? Aliens. And finally, truth or beauty? Truth. Tim Levin. <laughs> Tim Levin, thank you very much for coming on to Brave New Words. They were lovely. They were. They were slightly surprised. Like, <laughs> well, well, it's a different area of the books. They were expecting a different area of the book nook. That, 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 that's... They were expecting. I was going to say a comfy chair. That, I, I, Everybody gets lost in here. That's how the imperial the the imperial inquisition, which is a thing from Star Wars. Did they have a comfy chair? It's an entire TIE fighter that's just one large comfy chair. There's one on Farscape, isn't there? Uh, and a cloaking module. There's a comfy chair in Farscape. 
There is. Well, no, there's a guy who's like permanently wired into it, which I always felt was like kind of. I always felt that was really. No, no, sad. no. There was a. He actually made a reference to a comfy chair. I think it was. An, it, it was an interrogation chair, but it was Crichton. By the. You're talking about pilot. I'm talking, I'm about, talking about pilot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm mm. talking about Crichton. Which Crichton from Farscape, not the the, the comedy head shaped. <laughs> That's a different crossover. Um, <laughs> should, totally should have happened. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> I can totally see Robert that. Llewellyn, Farscape. <laughs> Should have happened. <laughs> Just swap a couple of the characters around, it'll work nicely. Rigel her cat, you know? <laughs> oh, Vimmer and Rigel, actually. Yeah. Would, yeah, would, yeah, would be sure the killer, killer pair of absolutely awful pe- people who shouldn't be in the room. And their own detective uh, show spin off as well. One of them plots Healy and the other one doesn't breathe, so that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, a I, com- that's a detective duo. You I just, was watched that. Rimmer and Rigel, they fight crime by, by farting <laughs> by farting helium and not being and not being physically tangible. <laughs> does does, does Rigel have a uh, does have some sort of um, alter ego that he can do as well, like Ace Rimmer? So that well, where's the mustache? Yeah. Um. <laughs> He has a mustache. You have to get rid of it. Hi, my, my, my name is Rigel, and I'm here to. And I can't. I can't. Domino the 16th. Domino the 16th. No, I'm in disguise. I'm wearing glasses. I'm actually, <laughs> actually a humble, mild mannered reporter. Actually, <laughs> Ace Rigel will have a great pilot's voice for that sort of thing. <laughs> Ace Rigel, oh God. <laughs> But the problem with the points wandered off. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with Spitfires is that they're enclosed compartments. So again, and as I say, he farts helium. Well, so, thankfully they're also um, they're, thankfully they're also one person fighters. So you know, but, but that's true. He's only going to get himself. And on that complete nonsense, shall we leave? <laughs> Let's go find out some jam. I think yes, he's hungry. jam. Jam sounds good. Um, right, and let's see if we can find. Get out of L space, maybe. Anyway, the gingerbread. Bye. I'll give you the route back. Bye. Bye. <laughs>